Philippians chapter 3 this week. So if you've got a Bible, you've got an app on your phone, whatever you've got, open up to Philippians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to start right in, in verse 12. And Paul says this. Here's what he says. He's writing to a church, by the way, in a city called Philippi. That's where we get the name Philippians. He's writing to them. And uh, Paul's writing from prison. He's been put in prison because of his faith, because of preaching the gospel. He's locked up. He's, he's awaiting trial. And he's writing then to this church that he had helped plant to encourage them. And we've seen over and over, we saw it last week, right at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says, Therefore, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He says rejoice, and we saw how that was a safeguard for us as we rejoice and as we uh, focus on God's grace and we ignore the joy suckers. We saw them last week, right? And then Paul gives an example of, of, of his desire then to know Jesus Christ. And after saying, I, I, I long to know him and to know the power of his resurrection and by all means to attain the resurrection from the dead, that's where we're at now. And here's what he says. He says now, he goes, though not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold on to what we have attained, Paul says. Let me pray, and we're going to jump into that text together. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you that, as we'll see here, he's the one who's uh, attained these things for us and given us the opportunity even uh, to, to trust you and to follow you and to press on towards the goal. He's the one who, who wins the prize for us. He's the one who's laid hold of us. So encourage us then this morning. Encourage us to press on. Encourage us to keep going and to not give up, but to finish the race strong, uh, to, to honor you and to, to, uh, to do right by you and by other people. Holy Spirit, teach me and, and speak to and through me even as I speak and teach. And uh, I thank you that you forgive me. Um, I, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, that you would keep him from discouraging us and convincing us uh, to, to focus on the past and not to look forward to what you have in mind for us, Father. So teach us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul starts out, he had just said in, in chapter 3 a few things, and now he says, not that I have already obtained this. He says, not that I have already obtained. Do you know what it means to obtain? You're like, yeah, I know English, Josh. I know what it, well, it means like to grasp onto, to, to grip hold of, to hold tight, to obtain it, to take it and make it my own. That's what Paul's saying. And I haven't done this yet. I, I, I haven't already obtained this. Well, what's the this? What's the this he's talking about? What hasn't he attained, obtained yet? What's well, right before us in chapter 3? If you look at chapter 3, starting in verse 8, Paul writes, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You know, we didn't spend a lot of time in this text, this part of the text last week, and the reality is that that chunk of text from verses 8 through 11 in chapter 3 could be about a seven-week series on its own where Paul talks about knowing Christ. 
He says, I count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, he says, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. We saw that really that word could be translated dung. I count it all as a steaming pile in order that I might know Jesus Christ and be found in him. And not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, Paul says, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, what Paul wants to obtain, and he says he hasn't obtained it yet, he wants to know Jesus in the deepest way possible. And he says, I I know him, but I don't know all of him yet. I want to know him completely. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want, to, I want to know what it's like to suffer the way he suffers. I want to know what it's like to, to share with him in his death. And, and Paul believes that if he truly wants to know Jesus, it's not one of those things that just comes like this, like in an instant. But it's a lifetime. It's a process. And if, and if he wants to know Jesus more, because that's what Jesus has put him here for, is to know him, he needs to press on. He needs to keep going. He can't give up when things are hard. Now, if anybody had an excuse to give up, I'd say Paul did. He'd been in prison for years for doing what? Sharing his faith, preaching the gospel. He had done everything God had called him to do. And yet he's still thrown in prison. Things still go horrible for him. Life still happens to him. And what's he say? Now he doesn't say I give up. He says I press on. I press on to know Jesus. He he believes there's more to obtain by pressing on. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in uh, a book called God is the Manger. God is in the Manger, a a Christmas Advent uh, reflection he wrote. He says, while it's good that we seek to know the Holy One, it's probably not so good to presume that we will ever complete the task. You're never going to know Jesus completely until the day we're in heaven. And I believe there's a certain sense where even then throughout eternity, we'll learn to know God more and more and more and more. The the task is is never done. And that's why Paul says, it's not that I've already obtained this. And he also says, or that I'm already perfect. Not only does Paul say he has more to learn of who Jesus is, but he also declares that he has further to go in learning to image him. I'm not perfect yet. Think about this. The people of Philippi, when they saw Paul, they might have had him on this level of perfection. Like, man, I see Paul and he's always serving God and he's always preaching and he's doing all these good things. Man, if anybody's got it all together, it's Paul. That guy's got it going. I mean, his whole life, everything's great for him other than being thrown in prison for a few years. But other than that, everything's great for Paul. He's perfect. Paul says, don't fool yourself. I I haven't obtained it yet. I'm not perfect. I would tell you as your pastor, don't don't fool yourself. Most of you know this already. I'm not perfect. I sin. I mess up. But I press on to know Jesus more. That by God's grace, I sin less next year than I did this year and less this year than I did last year and become more and more like him in my life and in my journey to know him. You know, that's what we call as a church becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. 
You got your bulletin on you? Look on the back. Do you see a little picture there of five trees? There's five things there that we say define what a fully devoted follower looks like. Our, our, our church, our purpose, we exist to see you, to see other people in our community transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus. How? By the power of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first part of that, of becoming a fully devoted follower, means I'm, I'm characterized by a life where I'm learning continually. Well, what am I learning? I'm learning to know Jesus by the power of his word, and I'm learning to image him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And those other four traits really are part of learning continually. I'm learning continually to do those things by the power of the word of God and the Holy Spirit and prayer. And, and Paul says, you know what? I'm, I, I press on, but I haven't obtained it yet. I'm, I'm still learning continually to know Jesus. And I'm not perfect. I'm still learning continually to image Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. I'm on this journey to to become a fully devoted follower, to image Jesus, to know Jesus, to worship passionately, to love selflessly, to give generously and live missionally. Paul says, I haven't already, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on, he says, to make it my own. Here's maybe how I put it in my own words. Paul might have said, I don't yet know all there is to know about Jesus. I don't yet image Jesus the way I should, not perfectly. But I press on to make that my own. I'm not just waiting for it to happen one day when Jesus returns. I'm not just sitting around twiddling my thumbs, waiting for life to pass, waiting for him to come back. I'm pressing on to know him today. I want to know more about him today. I want to image him more today. How about you? How about me? Are are, are we pursuing Jesus with that fervor? Are we pressing on? Are you waiting around for something to happen? Are you waiting around to get connected in the church? Are you waiting around to get plugged into ministry? Are you waiting around to start studying scripture? Are you waiting around to start praying? Are you waiting around and just waiting and waiting and waiting. And guess what's going to happen? Nothing. <laughs> Until you press on. Get after it, man. Go do it. Paul says, I press on today. He saw the journey to knowing Jesus as something that happens over a lifetime. And if I'm still breathing, it's still what? My lifetime. So I get to keep pressing on to know him. That term, press on, some of you guys will really like this. It's actually a hunting term. Did you know that? And it could be translated to capture, to strive after, to hunt down. That's what Paul's saying. That that same term would have been used in the context of hunting in the Greek. I, I hunt it down to make it my own. I chase it down to know Jesus more. I'm pulling out all the guns. I'm pulling out everything, all the stops, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch him. I'm going to chase after him. I'm going to find him. And he's pressing on to capture knowledge of Jesus, to make it my own, to capture it. Now, that can be confusing to us sometimes because we hear that I'm pressing on to make it my own. Well, I thought when Jesus died on the cross for me, he already 
gave all those things to me. That he made me righteous, that he made me pure, that he made me clean. And the truth is what? Absolutely, he did. And there's a sense in which we live in this tension between Jesus has already saved me, but he has not yet fully completed who I'm going to be. And remember a few weeks ago, we talked about these three parts of salvation. Kind of salvation past, salvation present, salvation future. The past, the thing that Jesus has done for me, is justification. In fact, Paul says, I press it on to make it my own. Why? What's the end of that verse? The end of verse 12 say? Because Jesus has made me his own. Because of what Jesus did in the past, and that's called justification. And now when God looks at me, it's just as if I'd, I'm justified, just as if I'd never sinned. However, there's part two to set my salvation. There's sanctification. Where during this tension between when Jesus started it, when he inaugurated it, and when Jesus finishes it, when he consummates it, there's this already not yet thing where I'm stuck in the middle. And Paul tells me during this time, press on. Keep going. Don't give up. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he said earlier in this book, right? And, and that's the sanctification piece. That's, that's the, the reaching out, grasping to make it my own. And then finally, why? Because one day, there'll be glorification where Jesus consummates all of it. And he finishes, remember what Paul said in chapter one? I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will finish it at the day of Christ Jesus. He'll finish what he started. He finishes everything he starts. He's not like me where I start some things and I don't get it finished. Anybody else like that? Jesus finishes everything he starts. And if he started a good work in you, Press on, chase after him. He will finish it. Chase after him, press on. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I was thinking of of something about this this week and Paul says, I press on to make it my own and and in a little bit here, he's gonna say, I press on to, to win the, to receive the prize, right? He says that a few verses later and there is a sense where we got to remember where we're responsible to press on and chase after Jesus, where we have responsibility there, but you, you can't do it on your own. If you just press on and you've never been captured by Jesus, he's never made you his own, you're never going to reach it. It's kind of like this. When, when I was a little kid, there was a cookie jar in our house, but do you know where it sat? On top of the fridge. Why did it sit on top of the fridge? because little cookie monsters running around the house. That's why, right? But it was on top of the fridge and I, I couldn't reach it on my own. I, there, there was no way to get to it from the counter. I, all I could do is jump and wave my hands in the air. And it was just fleeting, trying to jump up and get the cookie jar. There was no way until what happened? Until, you know, I, hey dad, can I have a cookie? Yeah. And what's he do? He picks me up, lifts me up and lets me do what? Reach out for and grasp and capture and obtain the cookie jar and obtain a cookie. And I won the prize. It's the same way for you and I in our faith where, where there's a prize there. There's no, there's no way I can, I can reach perfect. It's like waving my hands in the air. There's no way I can get to it until Jesus comes along, grabs me, lifts me up, and says, here, I'll help you get it. Now, who gets the real credit for getting the cookie? Me or my dad? My dad. 
But there was effort on my part, wasn't there? But that effort was preceded by my dad's effort. My effort to pursue Jesus is preceded by Jesus' effort in justifying me and in saving me. And then I live from that to seek after the prize. Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus laid hold of me and made me his own. One commentator says the images of being abducted by Jesus that were, were, were captured by him. And Soren Kierkegaard says this, he's a Danish philosopher, theologian, he says, the truth is a snare. You can't have it without being caught. You can't have the truth in such a way that you catch it, but only in a way that it catches you. That's what Paul's saying. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. I'm not. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, he says, I do not consider that I've made it my own. Well, this it, he's later going to refer to as the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the the question we have to keep in mind here as we're doing this is what is the prize? What is the prize God has in mind? Now, there's there's a lot of different options here. And and I think to one extent or another, they're, they're all true. One is, is reward in heaven, where, where, where Jesus promises to give us reward as in light of how we lived out our sanctification and how we served him in this life. There's reward in heaven. And it's okay to live pursuing reward from God. Why? Because he gives pretty good rewards. <laughs> He's God. There's also though this sense where Paul's talking about it, where it's just the prize ultimately of simply knowing Jesus. The prize of knowing all of who he is. Now, in our sins, sometimes we think, oh, that sounds kind of boring. That sounds kind of like, oh, I'll get to heaven, you know, sit around for eternity. What's, okay. You ever feel that way sometimes? You ever had that thought or heard others say that? You know, sitting around in the cloud playing a harp. Yeah, <laughs> if that's what heaven is, count me out because that just sounds awful. But you know what? That's not what it is. Paul tells us that no eye has seen, no mind has ever imagined what God has prepared for us. And and at the center of all that, John tells us in Revelation, is Jesus. There's no, no more day, no more night. Everything's just lit by the glory of his face. And where we'll see him for who he really is. Paul says in Corinthians, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see him as face to face. The prize is knowing Jesus. It's it's pursuing that, pressing on to that. And Paul says, I don't consider yet that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, one thing I do. Here's where we're going to end or uh, or finish this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to look at how, how do I press on to know Jesus? Paul, Paul gives us three things here, I believe, in pressing on to knowing Jesus. The first is this. Don't dwell on the past. Don't dwell on the past. Look what he says. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind. You know, Paul says, I, I, I don't know Jesus perfectly yet. I'm not imaging perfectly yet. But I'm still on the journey. I haven't given up. I'm not just sitting around waiting. I'm doing something. I'm 
I'm pressing on, but in doing it, I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm not dwelling on the past. Now, what does he mean, forgetting what lies behind? I mean, when you think about it, it's impossible to forget everything, isn't it? You can't just forget. Just make a decision and, oh, I forget. <laughs> Maybe as a kid you did to your parents, right? But, but you didn't really forget. It's, it's an impossibility. So that clearly can't be what Paul means, that you just, you know, wipe the slate clean like men in black and you, you don't remember anything. That's not it. What I think he's saying, though, is what we said here, don't dwell on the past. Because the truth is you can't forget. You can't forget. But you can choose not to dwell on it. You can choose not to let it define you. See, Paul says, don't dwell on the past. If, if you do, your past can become an excuse that's a barrier to your future. And what's Paul all about here? He's, he's all about pressing on to the future, pressing on to know Jesus. And if I get bogged down by what happened back here, well, one, that's really dumb. If I'm running a race this way, that's not in my way anymore. That's behind me. I'm going this way. That'd be counterproductive to circle back around and work my way around that again. Go forward, Paul says. Don't, don't dwell on it. And there's a handful of ways our past can be a barrier to pressing on to know Jesus. Number one, first of all, it's just plain paralyzing. And in these ways, number one, it becomes an excuse for just dropping out. It's an excuse for dropping out sometimes, isn't it? My past is it. It might be dwelling on things you regret or things you uh, neglected to do. Every person in this room, we have things we regret. Every person in this room, we have things that we've neglected to do. We, we have things in our past that we've done that we go, and if I dwell on that, I'm going this way, but I got this anchor here and I, I think I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to drop out of the race. This pain that either I caused myself or someone else caused me or, you know, they got sick. They, that didn't work out the way I planned. I quit. I quit. Don't dwell on your past, Paul says. You've got to forget what lies behind. Remember what Paul had in his past? Go read through the book of Acts. Start in chapter 8, chapter 7, chapter 8. Look at, look at when Stephen was stoned to death for preaching the gospel. Do you know who was standing there watching and approving, holding the other guy's coats while he got stoned? The guy who wrote this letter was. Paul was. Now imagine if he had, do you think he regretted it? Oh yeah, he writes about it. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. He totally regretted it, but he didn't dwell on it. He didn't dwell on it. He kept pushing forward to know Jesus. See, if I dwell on my past, it, it's an excuse for dropping out. And the truth is, sometimes Satan brings those things up to us, and he accuses us, and he tempts us, but other times... We're pretty sinful, and we just do it ourselves. And we, we can have this negative self-talk to ourselves where we just spiral ourselves down into believing a lie. So don't dwell on the past because 
Number one, it, it could be an excuse for you to drop out, and we don't want you to drop out. Number two, it can be an excuse for sin in your life. Well, I, I sinned in this way, and that's just who I am, so I guess I'm just going to keep doing that. There's really no escaping it now. And so many people, they're defined by their sin. They're defined by their past. And it's an excuse for sin. Uh, uh, gossip's not a big deal. I've always been a gossip. Uh, you know, looking at that website's not a big deal. I've always looked at that. I've, what is it? It becomes an excuse for your sin when you dwell on the past. Don't dwell on it. Don't dwell on it. See, your, your past whether as an excuse to drop out or an excuse to sin, it, it might explain you. We've talked about this, right? But it doesn't what? It doesn't define you. And it doesn't excuse you. It might explain. Dads, if you're an overbearing dad, and sometimes you come down way too hard on your kids, it might explain that maybe your dad was that way and your dad was distant. But you know what? It doesn't excuse you from that. It doesn't excuse you from that sin. It might explain you, but it doesn't define you. And in fact, if anything, it should encourage you that you don't want your kid to be that dad to your grandkids. So repent, leave it behind, and strive on to the future. Amen? But Paul doesn't say, you know, forget the bad stuff. He says, forget what? The past, forgetting what lies behind. He doesn't, he doesn't clarify whether you just forget the bad or the good. There's a certain sense where we need to forget the good too. Why? Well, it can become an excuse for complacency when I dwell on the past of the things that were good. You ever heard the expression, don't rest on your laurels? I, I mean, I, I haven't heard it from many people, but I can remember hearing it when I was a kid. You ever hear that though? Do you know where it comes from? The expression about resting on your laurels refers to the days when ancient athletes received laurel wreaths as a prize for winning their competition. And the implication was that if you're resting on your laurels, you're resting on your past achievements and you're not going forward to any future ones. So, I won the race. I was pretty fast. I got my medal. I got my wreath. I'm good till the next race. Because I already won one. I can quit. I'm good. And I become complacent and I don't train and I don't work hard for the next challenge. Churches do this all the time. Oh man, our church, we saw so many people trust Jesus. There was so much excitement and fervor in, in the church growing and in people uh, worshiping God and, and turning to, and, and we saw all these things happen. We saw the Spirit do all these things. 20 years ago. <laughs> that was so exciting. And be, being caught up in the past, caught up in that, we forget to change and move forward. We forget that what we did 20 years ago isn't going to make us here 20 years from now. That we have to be faithful today. And we have to keep pressing on today and we can't become complacent. Amen? Amen? See, Paul had a number of amazing things happen in his life, any one of which could have resulted in him just resting on his laurels. But he put that behind. The other thing is it becomes an idol. 
The past becomes an idol. You know, the, you know, remember the good old days? You remember the good old days. We all remember them different though, don't we? And what was the good old days to you were maybe not so good to others or maybe they weren't as good as you remember. But over time, the legend's grown just like some fishing stories and it, is, it was so good. And the three-inch fish is a 40-inch bass. Right? I mean, it's like, yeah, those were so good those days. But the good old days just become an idol and they excuse us from moving forward. Now, Paul doesn't, again, he doesn't say we just completely ignore it or forget it. He just says, don't dwell on it. Don't dwell on your, the past that was painful and hard because it'll be a hindrance to you. Don't, don't dwell on the past that was really good. Enjoy it, celebrate it, praise God for it, and move on. Because there's more things that he wants to do. He's not done. Press on. That's what Paul says. And if you won't take it from Paul, not to dwell on the past, maybe you'll take it from Jesus. Here's what he says in Luke 9. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He says, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Remember what happened to her when she looked back? Look forward. Press on to know Jesus. So number one, don't dwell on the past, but then, okay, so what should I do? Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what you should do. What lies ahead? Glorification does. And how do I strain forward? Oh, I keep my eyes on the prize. I keep my eyes on Jesus. I keep moving forward. Paul says it like this in Colossians. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, if if that's happened in the past, then seek things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Press on. Keep going. Strive ahead. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Are any of you a good runner? I mean, be honest. You're a good runner. Anybody here good runners? Doll boys. You guys are good runners. Right? When I was in high school, I was a terrible runner. When I, sports I played in baseball, I was, I played second base or DH. And once I got on base, after I hit the ball, you know what they did right away? Pinch runner. And they had, they had, they actually had designated runners and they'd come in. Every time I got on base, I never got to run unless I could hit the ball over the fence. Then I made it around. That was it. In football, I was strong, but I was a lineman. Why? Because I didn't have to chase the guy I needed to block very far. He was right in front of me. I'd have never caught him. You know, one of the problems with me when I'd run, why I was slow and why I wasn't a very good runner is because when, when I would take off, when I ran, and still to this day, you know, you guys are going to be watching me now next time you see me run for something, but my head would go like this. <laughs> and when my head goes like this, when I run, my whole body goes like this. And there's all this lateral motion counteracting my forward motion. You know, if you'd go to anybody who coaches you how to run, they'd tell you one of the things you need to do, long distance sprinting, whatever, keep your head up and keep your head still. Is that true, guys? Thumbs up. I got the thumbs up. Keep your head straight and keep it still. I don't know how many times I was told that, but I could never do it. You know what? That's what Paul's saying. Strain on towards the prize. Keep your head up 
Keep your head still. Don't, don't keep looking back at what's behind you while you're running. One, you might run into something. Two, who cares? It's over. Go on. Press on. Keep your eyes on Jesus, is what Paul says. All of us have times where we run without keeping our heads still. We look to the past. We, we're afraid of failure. We're, we're, we're apathetic. We're burnt out. But the writer of Hebrews says it this way, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. In other words, the past and sin, which, so, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set where? Do you know this verse? Where is it set? Before us. The race that's set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, follow his example. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Study God's word. Get connected in the 110 group. Be active. Serve other people. Martin Luther observed that the nature of the Christian life isn't in what one has become, but in what you're becoming. So Paul says, I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. For the prize. We talked about this. What is the prize? Paul didn't totally identify it. But he writes about the prize in other verses. He writes about it in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run that you might obtain it. In 2 Timothy, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Therefore, laid up for me is the crown of righteousness. What's defined here in this passage in in Philippians as the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That could mean a handful of things, but I'll just skip ahead here to what I believe it means. In the context here, I think Paul's writing in the context of an athletic event. I think Paul was probably a sports nut. I mean, he uses so many athletic metaphors when he writes. And in this context, then, the call comes at the end of the race. I press on to the prize for the call, the upward call of God. It's this call to come up. And it's likely, this phrase is used by other writers in Greek, um, Philo and others among them, where, where this upward call refers to the athletic games where at the end of the race, the winner would receive a call up onto the stand to receive their prize. That at the end, they're called up because they've won. You think about it, what are some of the prizes that people are called up for at the end of sporting events? The Indy 500, right? You get your face chiseled onto this trophy and you get a big thing of milk. That's what you're called up for. In the Masters, you get a green jacket. Hockey might be the coolest one. You get Lord Stanley's Cup. And you get your name chiseled on it. If you read the history of that, it's kind of cool. The Boston Marathon, you get an olive wreath. The Tour de France, you get a yellow jersey. The Kentucky Derby, you get a garland of roses. Well, in in the, the race to know Jesus, Paul says you get this. You get what's laid up for you. When you get up on the, on the podium and you receive it, it's going to be the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me, will award to you on that day. Not only to me, Paul says, but to all who have loved his appearing. 
Do you realize that you've got a reward waiting for you? Man, press on. What are you giving up for? Keep going. Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He says, make a choice. Think this way. I would say he's saying, dwell, dwell on, remember God's grace. Remember he's justified you. Remember he's sanctifying you. Remember in his grace he's going to glorify you and there's a prize waiting. Dwell on that. Don't dwell on the past. Keep your eyes on the prize. Press on. Don't give up. Let it define who you are. Revel in it. Why? Because that prize, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, man, it supersedes a bottle of milk. It's a whole lot better than a green jacket. It's better than an olive wreath or a Lord Stanley's cup. I mean, it, it's a reward from God himself. And it's eternal. And it's rooted in knowing Jesus. So I, I commend you, press on. Don't quit. I know you can't forget the past, but certainly don't dwell on it. Look forward to what's ahead. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Dwell in his grace. It supersedes everything else. For those of you who don't know him yet, repent. Turn to him. Get in the race. Chase after him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and thank you for your grace to us through him. Thanks for the example of Paul, who though he wasn't perfect, who though he didn't know you completely, didn't give up who in the midst of having a past where he was a, a murderer, where he persecuted your church, where ultimately he calls himself the chief, the worst of sinners. He can write with pretty good reputation to say, forget what lies behind. Help us to do that as well, Father. I don't, I know my own struggles of things I hold on to and, and fail to move past at times both successes and failures, but, but you know them for each of us. So I pray for each one here. Help us to forget what lies behind and instead press on to the future that you promise. Your, your grace is enough to, that none of us can, can do anything in our past that would keep us from you if we'd simply turn to you. That your grace can't remedy, that your grace can't overlook to draw us to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you did deal with those things for us on the cross. Help us then to keep our eyes on you. Because you did the same. You, you ran the race, and you did it perfectly, and you kept your eyes on the joy set before you. Help us to keep our eyes on the joy in front of us on that day when you call us to be with you and when you dole out the prizes. I look forward to that day. Help us all to look forward to it and help our church to press on as well, to see more and more people know Jesus, to not be stuck in the past or stuck in the, even in the present, but to press on toward the future of what you would have for us. Father, we love you. I pray all this in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen.